All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the story. I'm glad you're here. You look like a lively bunch today. The band was awesome today, um, and, uh, and, and everything's, uh, everything's going great at other services and at Timber Grove this morning. Gosh, if you haven't been to Timber Grove, uh, it is blowing up. Timber Grove is setting new marks every week for attendance, and, and, uh, and the reach that it's having is just, it, it's, it's beyond all of our expectations. And so uh, be sure to get over to Timber Grove at some point soon at uh, 8200 Washington Avenue. Right now, there's just one service at 945. We think that is soon going to change because they're out of room, which is a great problem to have. Um, so if we don't know each other yet, by the way, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, got a little something to talk about today that's not normal or usual for our Sunday sermons. So a little bit of uh, a little bit of inside baseball stuff today. Okay, so if you're a, a, a brand new person at the story, if this is your first Sunday, I'm gonna go ahead and apologize preemptively. Okay, most I would say 99% of our messages that we write and preach here are intended for you people that aren't already all in with Jesus. That's what we're here for, is for people that have more questions than answers. So all of the topics we choose and things we go, uh, we, we plan and, and preach, it's all about you in, in mind. And so today's just different because we're in a different kind of season, and I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, okay, so yesterday, trunk or treat all day. Just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that made that possible. Thank you for lending us your cars and uh, for decorating them and giving the kids a great time at both of our campuses. And then this Friday is another chance to get over to Timber Grove because we're having one of our epic charity trivia nights this Friday night, 6.30, on the lawn at Timber Grove. It's going to be amazing and a great way to spend your Friday night. The food hall thing is open upstairs, so you can go up there and grab a drink or dinner and bring it down to the lawn. It's just perfect. It couldn't be any better. So uh, just either have a team of your own or show up, and we'll put you on a team of, of people, and, uh, and you can have some fun playing trivia. Between now and then, we've got some business to take care of, and that's why we're, we're doing two town hall meetings this week. One of them is scheduled for Wednesday, and the other one it will be Thursday. The reason I say those differently is this. Should our Houston Astros stayed one of the great comebacks in MLB history and forced a game seven, that would put our Wednesday gathering in peril because I'm not going to compete <laughs> with game seven of the World Series and a town hall meeting. Okay, so that if there's a game seven, you need to come to the town hall on Thursday, <laughs> okay? We won't be here Wednesday. But in the event things don't go our way in the World Series, we will be here Wednesday night at, at 7 and Thursday night at 7, okay? Um, but I'm still hoping that the Astros can find a way to, to pull this out. We'll see. I have been a Houston sports fan long enough to know I should not get my hopes up too high. Although the Astros have done pretty well. They've spoiled us pretty good. So, um, yeah, today's, uh, today's message is going to be a little bit different. The reason we're having these town halls is because we're in a very different season as a community. Everybody, Most everybody knows this by now. Back in May, five-plus months ago, we, uh, we learned that, that St. Luke's had decided to, uh, to send the story out, to, to, uh, to invite the story to leave the campus. And so ever since then, we have been looking for our next home for this campus. Timber Grove is going to stay the same, going to keep growing, doing its thing as part of the story. All that's the same. But this campus is going to be moving. And as of today, we're going to be moving in two months, 
or less. 60 days, that's what we have as of today. Throw in Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we've got more like 30 actual days to get the stuff done, you know? So we've got a lot to cover, a lot of things to think about, and a lot of things to figure out. So, um, you know, change is never easy. It's always tough. And, and this change in particular is going to be tough on some of y'all, especially who, who I'll talk about in, in just a minute. But just kind of wanted to spend a little bit of, of time talking about this move as we are about to become, for the first time, a fully independent church and a, a legal entity in our own right, a nonprofit corporation and all that entails. And like we're putting all these pieces together. We're also talking to other churches that are going through the same thing as we are right now to form some kind of a, of a network of togetherness in this so that we can hold each other accountable and learn from each other. But this whole process is the culmination of this seven-year relationship we've had with St. Luke's. And even though the story is just six and a half years old, we've been here for seven and a half years because we had the year where we were getting ready to start the story from scratch. And for me personally, it's the culmination of an eight and a half year um, journey, really, because it was the year before we came to start the story that I went on that fateful trip to the Holy Land and met Jesus in the real way for the first time and actually became a Christian in the truest sense of the word. I, I can't say that I was really a Christian before, although I had been baptized as an infant and always in church, and I had been a pastor for, you know, 13 years by that time. But I did not believe in the core tenets of Christianity. I just didn't. I thought I was too smart for it. And so I used Christianity as a vehicle for what I wanted to get done in the world, the kind of politics that I wanted to advance. And I thought it was nice teachings and pick and choose here and there, you know, leave out the weird stuff, but like, love your neighbor, I can get down with that. Like, okay. So that's the kind of stuff that I gravitated to. Well, Jesus just, just confronted me in the Holy Land with this reality that you can't, you can't moderate him. You can't politicize him in that way. He really is one of two extreme personas. He either is exactly who he said he was, God in the flesh, Savior of all mankind, you know, the one. Or he is like a charlatan of the worst order. Like, he's a guy who said he was God and allowed other, other vulnerable people to worship him as God, taking advantage of them, living off of them, and then just leaving them. And he's one of those two things. And the evidence that I was confronted with in the Holy Land, I was not there for a spiritual reason. I was there to study the Palestinian plight, by the way. But Jesus met me in the midst of all of that and showed me evidence that compelled me to believe that just from a logical standpoint, it looks more plausible than not that he is who he said he was. And then I entered into this crazy relationship with him that turned me into a person that I, is the person I used to criticize in my former life. You know, it's, it's just a wild... Anyway, the reason I share all of that again is just to help you see that that was just a year before we moved here to start the story. So I was coming off of that experience, a brand new baby Christian starting a church in my own right. And a lot of that uh, energy and, and enthusiasm that we've got at the story comes from the fact that we started when we did in, in uh, re relation to my own conversion and, and things like that. I was just coming in hot, as the kids say, you know? But the thing about the Holy Spirit is that you don't just... You don't just peak early and then you don't, you know, you don't feel it anymore. It just gets hotter and hotter. 
when you let him. And that's kind of what's happened. He's just getting hotter and hotter and he's burning us up and, and refining us into something new and beautiful. But I was just looking back and thinking about the last seven and a half years and, and how Gio and I, my, my wife and, and partner in ministry, um, we moved our kids and family, everything we had in Kansas City where we had lived for 13 years, down to Houston where we didn't know a soul. And you know what memories really came to mind as I looked back on that time in 2014 when we arrived to Houston? The city of 7 million people that was super intimidating in the beginning. As I looked back and as I went through some of my junk drawers, and there are many of those in my office because I keep everything, much to Gio's dismay, but I was going through some stuff and, and I kept coming across these notes, handwritten notes and cards from St. Luke's people. And I realized that from day one, we have been so welcomed and loved, so warmly received by so many people who call St. Luke's home, so many members of the church that's been our mother church. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here because most of you don't have any connection to St. Luke's other than your connection to the story, but some of y'all have deeper roots at St. Luke's. And I found notes from the likes of Bill and Laura Denham and from the likes of the AG sisters, and everybody at St. Luke's knows the AG sisters, and, and, and you know, notes from Neil Stovall and Pat Deckert. I found emails from Dr. Pace and Rob Delaney with Student Ministries and Julie Ellerbrock with Children's Ministries, all welcoming us so warmly. And I just realized that we have been so deeply loved here, so warmly welcomed, so perfectly set up to achieve the mission that God set before us from the beginning. And I've just been overcome with gratitude and peace. And, and you know, I just want y'all to know, and I want you to hear it straight from me, that in spite of how difficult this year has been, our time as the Story Church as part of St. Luke's United Methodist Church has been overwhelmingly positive and beautiful and good. And if I had the choice to do it all over again, I would. Without a moment's hesitation, I would take this mission on and I would do it as part of St. Luke's Church, even if I knew that it was gonna end abruptly like it has this year. It's okay. God's got us. God's got St. Luke's, and it's, it's all right. And I just wanted to say that because I know there's real grief and, and pain in the room, and I, I am saying that, to be real with you. I'm saying that after probably the hardest five-month stretch of my life so far, God keeps putting harder and harder seasons in my life. I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, whatever it is you're trying to teach me, I got it. Um, the last five months have just been really, really challenging, and and Gio and I, both being, you know, pastors and leaders, like it's, it's easy for us to put on the face. We tell y'all not to, not to be inauthentic, but we're the worst. Because, you know, it's like you're at home and you're like, God, it's all coming to an end. It's crashing down. And then somebody calls me like, hey, buddy, what's up? Like, such a hypocrite. I never have been one to give in to anxiety, but this year got me. Because as... As I've dealt with the uncertainty the last five months. It's just been constant, constant uncertainty, and it wears you out, and the enemy uses it. Pay attention. The enemy uses it. The enemy uses fear, and he speaks little whispers, little lies into your ear to convince you of things that seem true but are not. And we face that. I've never been the guy that wakes up in the middle of the night sweating with a panic attack. 
There's been multiple times in the last five months. And we've tried to be confident publicly and shield our community from the worst of it. And some people, most people will never know the worst of it because it's just not, it's not worth anyone's time to sit around and, and whine and complain. Our small group has been there for us, and many of them know exactly how bad it's gotten and how difficult it's been. You know, the, just the sadness of it all. We've known for some time that the story in St. Luke's won't be one and the same forever, and that's cool. We just didn't know it would end so quickly, the way that it's ending. And so there's been sadness. And, and even more than that, there's been disappointment in our dealings with, like, the institutional church, right? The denomination. Like, just heartbreaking disappointment for lack of vision, you know? In this denomination I've called home since I was born. I'm a fourth or fifth generation Methodist preacher. And so the, the lack of vision has been heartbreaking at times. The stress of looking for a home for this new community. And, and if you can imagine how difficult it is to find any real estate anywhere in Houston, Texas right now, just imagine searching in this area as part of an institution that has no institutional history, no credit history, no financial history, and barely a bank account with nothing in it. But we have the account now. Will you sell your place to us? <laughs> Think about how many times we were told no this year. And those were the nice ones. <laughs> Most of them didn't say anything. They were just like, yeah, yeah, no response. Call us when you're legit, whatever. And so we had to deal with all this kind of uh, rejection and all this kind of fear and all this stress. And I'm not going to lie, it's been brutal. This isn't the way that we dreamed it up. But here's what I've got on my mind today. Um, Story Church. It has occurred to me that over the last five months, I've done a lot of preaching and emailing and devotion stuff and all that. Like, in the spirit of looking back, I've done a lot of retrospection this year. And I hope that today, October the 31st, which is not Halloween, by the way, we're at church, okay? So I can't wish you a happy Halloween, but like, I hope that today is a day we look at as an important mile marker on the journey where we stop looking back and start looking ahead. Because it's time to look forward to the future God has for us. Because if we trust his promises, and I believe that we should, the future that he has for us is greater than the past that we're looking back on. What if that's the case? What does he have in store for us? What if the words he spoke to his people who were suffering a much greater plight than we are today? All right, let me just make that clear. I had some pastor friends call me out on some whining that I was doing recently when they were like, so let me get this straight. You have to move your church from River Oaks to someplace near River Oaks. Like, oh, like, okay. Okay, I get it. I get it, all right? So it's not exactly the Babylonian exile, okay? So I, I still think the passage applies, okay? Just humor me for a second, okay? So this is, this is what the Lord spoke to his people as they suffered through the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. He said, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What if fear is a lie from the pit of hell? 
What if his plans for you personally and for us as a community are to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you, but to show you how to really prosper, not financially, how to prosper with an abundant life in the spirit of God? What if that's what God has in store for his people when we trust him, all right? So what are the plans exactly that God has for us? Only God knows. If I tried to tell you exactly what those plans are, well, this is 2022, this is 2023. God laughs, right? But he gives us clues about his plans. If we pay attention and trust what we're hearing from his spirit, he gives us clues. Some of those clues you can see by looking back. How has he used us in the past? How has he gifted us? How has he uniquely equipped us to do something for his kingdom? How has he called us? What mission has he given us? When I look back on the last six and a half years of the story's life, there's some parts of our community that are truly, uh, I'll use the word unique. There's so many churches, it's hard to know exactly how unique you are, but it feels truly different when I look at the fruit of the labor that the Holy Spirit has worked in us. This is what I mean. It seems to me that the story has been uniquely called and equipped to reach certain people that no one else is reaching by doing certain things that no one else is doing. And it has to do in part with my own story and the years that I walked in darkness and my own arrogance and thinking that I'm too smart to be a Christian and you can't reconcile faith and science and I know better and those antiquated books in the Bible can't tell me what I know. You know, it's like, Okay, the Holy Spirit shook me and and opened my eyes to this amazing new reality that was there all along. And so we've seen that again and again playing out in hundreds, maybe thousands of lives, if you think about the impact the story has had by God's grace over the last six and a half years. And so it really, we knew, we knew in the very beginning that if we were going to reach the people who were walking now where, where I and many of you used to be walking in that arrogant cloud of darkness and self-deception, we were going to have to address the hardest, most pressing questions. Questions about the Bible, for example. One thing we noticed early on is is that people don't really have a problem with Jesus' message. Jesus' approval ratings are amazing, higher than Obama. Like, Jesus' approval ratings, like, through the roof, even non-religious people but people can't get past the Bible. Secular people can't get past the Bible as a hindrance. They've heard too much about it. Usually they haven't read it for themselves. Let's just be real about that. They're They're not going to Bible studies and finding it out for themselves, but they've heard too much about it, and they've heard too much stuff that either hurt them personally or offended their sensibilities from people holding Bibles. And so they've put it all together and they've decided that this book that Christians love is really just a book of antiquated rules, outdated mandates, written by illiterate people. They don't quite put that one together, written by illiterate people. Okay, okay, we'll get back to that. So, and and these, these bumpkins from, you know, antiquity can't tell me how to live my life. And we knew we were gonna have to overcome these mental hurdles Like, the Bible is anti-women, the Bible is anti-LGBTQ people, the Bible is pro-slavery, the Bible's pro-oppression. Like, And we wanted the world to know the Bible is none of those things at all. We wanted the world to know that the Bible is the perfect story of God's perfect love for imperfect people like us. That's what the whole story of Scripture 
tells. And we want the whole world to know that because God's love is for the whole world. Everyone who will have it can have it, not by their own deeds, just by his grace. It's a beautiful love story. And that's why we call this church the story. That's the reason. It wasn't to be cute or to have a nice logo. Because we believe that the Bible is the perfect story told perfectly about this love of a perfect God for imperfect people like us. And so that's where we began. But we knew that a cool name and cute logo wouldn't be enough. We knew we would have to meet people on their turf. Instead of saying, hey, new church, y'all come Sunday. It doesn't work in a post-Christian world like the one we're living in, this secular landscape that we're living in. By the way, Houston is not the Bible Belt. All right? Y'all know that by now, right? Have you seen the billboards? You know what I'm talking about? Look up on 59 and 610, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, this is not a, a, a Christian, uh, you know, landscape. So we are dealing with an uphill climb. That means, and we knew this from the beginning, I think just wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to take the gospel to people, meet them on their turf. That's why we started doing things like unassuming, approachable things like charity trivia nights. It's very strategic. It's, it's meant to be part of our mission, right? It's, it's not an end in itself. It's a means to a greater end, but we have to have these moments where we can intersect with people and people who are not religious can see a church culture that functions as a family, a family that works. You know how important that is to people, to a generation of people whose families don't work? And so we started interacting with people and like, I, I don't know what the percentage is. I would guess 15, 20% of our congregation today, their first experience with the story was at a charity trivia night. And we should have, we, we should have copyrighted or patented this idea because not every church in the world is doing it, but we were the first. <laughs> it's this beautiful model. You can just show up and play for your own charity of choice. And if you're looking for something to do this Friday night, Come on over to Timber Grove. If you're looking for a charity to support, I know of this new 501c3 <laughs> in Houston, Texas that could use your help, <laughs> all right? I'll give you the answers if you shoot me an email. Okay, so, <laughs> no, I'm not, okay. All right, it didn't end with charity nights. We had things like the Leap Night Barn Dance at the Bingo Hall where we got together on a, it was Leap Leap year, right? So leap night, February the 29th, 2016, we got together and at least 27 people came to this barn dance at this place that holds 2,000 people. And, uh, <laughs> and we danced the night away. This is the thing I remember about this event is that I performed my first and as of yet only impromptu wedding ceremony backstage at this event. They were like, we want to get hitched. And I was like, come on. It was a barn dance. So we were talking that way. And I was like, I did the wedding right then and there because anyway. Anyway, they're a, they're a great couple, and they still go to church here, and, and, uh, and I'll never forget it, these memories that we've made um, together. You see, the whole point of this isn't to be silly. The point is to not take ourselves too seriously, but to take Jesus very seriously, and to use these kinds of events as touch points with people who will not darken the door of a church on a Sunday morning. And we have always had this this sort of desperate, incessant passion for going out and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus.
by any and all means necessary. And I think during COVID, we were interrupted and disrupted and distracted, and we were just starting to bounce back from COVID whenever we got the news that we would be leaving, and all kinds of new disruptions and distractions came our way. But let me ask you, what, what would happen if we chose to not be distracted anymore? What would happen if we chose to give ourselves over again to that desperate, almost rabid desire to make sure the whole world knows about Jesus and what he's done for us, for all of us? It wasn't just about having fun, although I have to share one more thing. So the, uh, <laughs> the most fun I had over the last six and a half years was in our little carpool karaoke video. You remember that? It came to mind this week where it's still the most watched video of all time at the story. You can still find it online on our YouTube channel. I did one of those James Corden-style um, carpool karaoke, and it included Dr. Pace from next door. It included a Cheetah Craft, the weather, weather girl from the local weather station, a local fashion designer who had, like, the hair of an angel blonde hair, like, 22-year-old fashion designer, coolest guy I've ever met. Oh, and then Bun B, legendary rapper Bun B, was in the, the van with us singing some of his hits, which were surprising in their wordage. Uh, but the... The, yeah, imagine rapping with Bun B in front of Tom Pace. Like, that was something, I'll tell you. Uh, those lyrics, okay? And, but, but by the end of it, we're all singing We Are Family together on our way to church. We're trying to communicate to the world that family, family can be something that sticks. Family can be something that works at church when we keep the love of Jesus front and center. It's a beautiful reminder of what the church can be. Now, we also, we also knew that we couldn't just be about, you know, having fun. We didn't just put people in a room together and, and make them fall in love with each other. We wanted to connect the church to the world. And so we knew that what that looks like in the way of Jesus is to serve. And from the very beginning, we've had this hunger to serve. And, and one of the most amazing things that's happened over the last six and a half years has been the emergence of this ministry called Jubilee Prison Ministry, where men from the story said, we are called to do more. And we heard about this prison ministry where we do these weekends inside of a prison, getting to know the, the brothers in white, as we call them, on the inside. And I thought, sure, these guys are going to go and change lives inside of that prison. And what I didn't know is that they would go and be changed. And we saw more life change and transformation from our guys who went inside these prisons. They met Jesus there inside, and they came out preaching the gospel. And until COVID hit us, that, that was the most exciting outreach ministry that I'd ever been a part of. And I'm told that in 2022, we're finally going to be able to go back inside now that they've started to get COVID under control inside. Women started doing the same thing. By the way, Jubilee Prison Ministries is for men and women, and women went inside these units, and we saw the same kind of life change and transformation. And then some of y'all um, also started serving these meals and taking food and supplies and the necessary things that people on the streets need to get by, and you would go to church under the bridge every week, some of you, and you would build relationships with, with our, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters who call the streets their home or people that are near homeless, and you would worship with them. It wasn't just a soup kitchen. You worshiped together. You took communion together. You learned names there. And some of you have started doing that again now after COVID has subsided. We're getting back to doing some of these things. This is where the gospel comes alive. 
Many of you went to go ministries uh, with us in the Dominican Republic. And some have asked, are we going to keep doing that now that we're leaving St. Luke's and going out on our own? Of course, we're going to keep doing that. Of course, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in the Dominican is going to be as strong as ever. When the storm of uh, Hurricane Harvey hit us, it was the church, man, that stepped up and said, we don't need to wait for the Red Cross. We don't need to wait for the government. Let's go. And so the, 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 the floodwaters hadn't even subsided. Some of your houses were flooded, and you were still going out to muck someone else's house, to help someone else relocate, to, to pay for someone else's rent in a new place. We learned a lot in 2017 about what the church really is and how the church really responds to crises like Harvey. And it was in the aftermath of Harvey that we were given this, this gift, really, from the artist Sebastian Boileau and Mr. D, the, the mural that's behind me, The Faces of Jesus, that is a one-of-a-kind piece. It's 32 feet long, and uh, it's precious to us. People have said, is this coming with us? Come on. Of course it's coming with us. This is part of who we are. Mr. D would have it no other way. His name, by the way, is Sebastian. Mr. D is his street name. But he goes to church here, too. That was another little side benefit of having him do that. We got him. All right, so now he's one of us. Love has a name, we called it. So many memories in this space. But the space itself is not what makes the church. Right? The space itself is not what makes the story us. Right? So um, as I look back on these memories, the, the most precious ones that came to mind by far, aside from all the others I've told you, the most precious ones are the memories of all the many, many baptisms and professions of faith that we have celebrated here. Y'all know this is the holy grail of the church, right? This is our ultimate outcome. Not butts and seats. Not like the cool factor. It doesn't matter how cool the world thinks we are, how cool we feel, or how many people are coming. Baptisms and professions of faith is where it's at. And, and between February of 2015 and now, we've seen almost 1,000 people be baptized and or profess their faith publicly for the first time. It's an amazing thing. And, and as a pastor, there's just no higher honor, especially a pastor who pretended for 13 years and who probably should never have been given another opportunity by God. But every day I get up to serve the story church is a gift from God who is merciful, so patient and merciful with me to take a hypocrite like me who used to spout off lies and mislead people for years and give me another chance. The story has been my other chance. And every opportunity you've given me to baptize you or someone in your family, it's the highest honor. It's the highest honor. And it overwhelms me to think about this, really. You know, it's really uh, something I, I, I thank God for every day. And it really begs the question, as we look back on all these memories that we've made, is that it? Like, is that, did we just have a good run? Have we seen the best of what God can do through the story? Or is there something else? Is there something better? 
are there still greater stories that we can tell together? And this is the mantra that we've adopted for the coming season. We believe that there are greater stories to be told together. Here's what I mean. That years from now, we will look back on the six and a half years that we've enjoyed as part of St. Luke's United Methodist Church, not as a, a season or, or, or our history in and of itself, but as a prologue, as the first chapter maybe, the, 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 the prequel. And, and we will see that God is, has prepared us in these first six and a half years for something so great we can't even fathom it like something we can't even see yet, the stories that we're going to be able to tell when we fix our eyes on Jesus again, free from distractions, unencumbered by disruptions, just entirely devoted to following him into the world, to taking these gifts that he's given us and applying them day in and day out to bring more people into meaningful relationship with him. How many more lives will we see changed by his grace? not by what we've done, but by making ourselves available to him, how many more people will we have the privilege of baptizing? How many more stories will we have the honor to tell, stories of change and transformation, turnarounds by the power of the Spirit of God? I know this has been a really challenging season for some of us. And some of y'all are like, I just got here. I don't really know what you're talking about. I'm good. But some of y'all are heartbroken. I would guess in this campus, 35% of our church here has deep roots with St. Luke's. And if the rest of you would just humor me for a moment, I would, I would like to talk to that 35% because I know their hearts are broken because it feels to you, I've heard you say it, feels to you like mommy and daddy are splitting up and we have to choose and I understand the heart of it. I don't love the analogy you're using because it doesn't fully apply. <laughs> the story is not your mommy and St. Luke's not your daddy. But anyway, I do understand the heart of what you're saying, the choice that you seem to have in front of you. But I, I would gently push back and ask, what if your paradigm is wrong? What if your math is off here? What if you're seeing a situation that looks like a division, and God is seeing one that looks like multiplication. What if God can take a situation like this and make the future brighter than it would have been otherwise? What if the vacuum we create by leaving this campus, St. Luke's will backfill with people they would not have reached otherwise? What about those lives that are about to be changed? And what if we, by stepping out in faith and following Jesus out into the world, off of this comfortable campus that we've enjoyed all this time, what if we follow by faith and are able to reach all kinds of people that we wouldn't have reached otherwise? All kinds of people who are non-religious and, and skeptical of big steeple kind of church environments. And here we are sitting in the shadow of one of the biggest steeples in Houston. Do you know how many people have driven up to this campus because they heard about the story and then they drove off because they were afraid by what they saw here? There is a future here that we can't even see yet. There's a future for the story that we can't even comprehend yet. People that are going to be reached by this next chapter in our journey that could not have been reached as well by what has been. But before we get there, I think God 
needed to send us through a trial. Because we learn things in trials and suffering that we don't learn elsewhere. And they tried to warn us about this in the Bible. This is what Paul said to the first Christians in, in Rome. He said in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a lot of words there. I hope you were paying attention. This is a passage about hope, maintaining hope even through suffering. So I've got three things I want to challenge you with. First, what if from this point forward as we look ahead and not back, what if we insist on being, becoming, and remaining a community of hope? The hope of the Lord. Optimism. Joy. Faith. What, what, if, what if we shunned all instinct toward bitterness, all impulse toward resentment? What if, what if we stopped second-guessing the past and just gave God thanks for the past and looked ahead with hope? What if the whole world knew through the work of the Story Church, what if the world around us knew what God is for instead of just what he's against? What if that became our identity from this point onward? The second thing I would challenge you with is, what if from this point onward we insist in covenant as a community together that every word we speak and every thought we think about our mother church, St. Luke's United Methodist Church, is hopeful and optimistic and positive and a blessing? What if we decided to no longer tolerate any kind of gossip, backbiting, second-guessing, finger-pointing? From this point forward, we're going to be a blessing to a church that has richly blessed us. And every time we get on our knees in prayer in the next season, we're going to thank God for St. Luke's United Methodist Church, for the denomination that gave us birth, that gave us life, that gave us a chance to tell this story. And we're going to let God heal our hearts. And third, and probably most importantly, what if from this point onward we got our, our eyes fixed on Jesus and this simple mission he set before us from five, six and a half years ago to inspire non-religious people to follow him, plain and simple? What if that became our only goal and we were set free, unencumbered, to march behind him toward that goal by faith. Y'all, if we do that, I just, I can't wait to see what God does through us in the season ahead. I cannot wait to see what greater stories will, will be told by people who find Jesus and follow him through the ministries of our church, the story. Y'all, it's just, it's the highest honor I have in ministry to be your pastor, to have baptized many of you. And I think God has just begun to show us his plans for us. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you come and set us free from our fear, set us free from anxiety, and speak truth to the lies of the enemy that 
seek to play on our, on our fears and our stress and our uncertainties. Lord, our, our certainty is, was never meant to be found in the things of this world. Things like addresses and walls, they mean very little to your kingdom. There is more for us to place our certainty in. And so we want to trust you and your promises and your word above all else. We want to march faithfully toward this mission you've set before us, toward this vision, this hope that we have in you. And thank you, Father, that our hope in you never disappoints, for your love has been poured out for us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the six and a half years we've had here as the story church on this campus, and we look forward with hopeful anticipation for all the ways you're about to expand this church and give us new opportunities to reach more people by your grace and with your message. We want to see more lives changed, more people baptized, more stories being told about your greatness. Father, we thank you for Jesus who makes all all of these things possible, the the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and we want to follow him with all the faith in our hearts. We thank you, Father. Where our faith falls short, Holy Spirit, give us the gift of faith. Help us to trust you in these uncertain, uncertain days. Help us to be people of peace. Help us to bless our mother church as we exit this campus over the next 60 days. Help us to bless them in every way that we can. We love you and thank you for all of your provision. We can't wait to see what's next. In Jesus' name, amen.